0: seem fun the diary of Jen Kirkman podcast let's see how this sounds um, oh yeah oh yeah I think that sounds fantastic I have a new microphone still getting used to the fact that it's not oh you know what maybe I can make it taller by doing that Ow, geez can I make it taller by doing that it's a kind you don't hold in your hand you know it has a little stand um, and so I, I don't like how short the stand is you know what I'm saying? But it's also because it's not on a normal-sized table. Maybe I should have worked this out before. You don't understand. I already did so many tech, tech, tech stuff before. that I don't feel like doing it anymore. And so any more that I have, you will be a victim of hearing it. Well, that's not going to work. Ah, uh, how does this sound? You can't tell me because this has already been... Ah! See? <laughs> this is not working out. This is not working out. The new microphone sounds fantastic. It's just the stand is so damn short, and I don't want to go off to sit in my office. I want to sit out in the living room, but I'm using one of those, you know, those C stands that you can put a computer on and just kind of portable. You put it in different rooms depending on where you want to use your laptop. I'm, I'm putting my podcast microphone on that, and so I have to lean down, which will hurt my back eventually. Oh, God, the problems, the problems Maybe I should really consider doing it in my home office I don't want to I don't want to So I won't So I won't Okay, let's talk Um, I Seem Fun, The Diary of Jen Kirkman Podcast, Episode 220 Today's episode is brought to you by Quip and... Talk space. We will tell you all about Those fabulous sponsors later Well, I'm recording this in advance So when you hear it, um, I will be In London at the Soho Theater And I will have uh, Shows left to do. Wednesday night Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night uh, January 31st, February 1st, February 2nd February 3rd. Now, they Might be sold out by now, but I think that they always Have a few tickets at the box office ex- Box Because there is standing room So If you're wondering how my trip in London is going I don't Have the information for you now Because this is a week in advance But You can as always Follow my Instagram stories When I am on tour I gotta stop saying tour Because I'm not on a tour this year I just have dates You know what I mean? There's a difference But anyway So you can watch the Instagram stories My Instagram handle is Jen Kirkman Just like my Twitter handle if you want to be a mensch, go to iTunes, write a review of this podcast, give it five stars, and please subscribe. That's what helps keep it at the top of the charts, which it isn't. So I don't know why I said keep it, put it at the top of the charts, and write in the review. I'm putting, I'm sending you to the top, baby. Um, if you tweet about having seen me, or want to tweet about coming to my shows. Can you try to hashtag JKTOR2018? Because I don't, I have a lot of filters on my Twitter. I don't always do my own Twitter. And so searching the hashtag is easier. I know that's hard to get going. I'm going to try. Um, I seem fun at I seem fun podcast on Twitter and Facebook.com slash I fun podcast on the Facebook is where every week you can find out how to listen to all of the episodes and see photos and all kinds of things. Hot. I feel like my Netflix special Just Keep Living" is buried in Netflix because there's all these like best Netflix specials ever and my first one keeps getting on it and I feel like they don't know I have another one which is so fucking annoying because I recorded that in 2014. It came out in 2015 and the material was written in 2010. It is now 2018. I have different things to say and I have said them. On just keep living. So, I don't know. Can you go onto your Netflix and give it a thumbs up or just like let it play again or something? I don't know. Get it up there. Um, send me an email. I seem fun at gmail.com. Today's thoughts God, I don't even fucking know what my thoughts are today because I just recorded a podcast. I don't know what's going on in hotels. Does anyone out there work in a hotel? Can you email me and tell me? why it's just they think that calling the room is not disturbing if i have my do not disturb sign on i'm sleeping sleeping i had it on and they call me just we just knocked on we just went to your door we were going to knock but it said do not disturb we wanted to see if you need anything no what am i what am i uh, have no legs and arms if i need something i'll pick up the phone and tell you I don't find that to be good customer service. And these are fancy hotels, people. Um, I don't know. Okay. Somebody, I like this question because I can kind of go off on it. Um, Comedians who tell the, so this is from a listener. Hi, Jen. How do you feel about comedians teasing or scolding the audience for not laughing enough or being low energy? If I'm in the audience, it makes me really uncomfortable and actually less likely to laugh. But I'm a pleaser. Who just wants everyone to be happy Would love to hear you talk about this in the podcast Well, there are so many answers Because are they the headliner? Did you just go to a random comedy club and you don't know them? Are you their biggest fan? Are they performing for a fan base? Or is this someone who's really good and professional But they're performing for people who've never heard of them? Is this an open mic comedian? Is this a newer comedian who's saying in an awkward way? Oh my god, there's so many answers Now, I'm gonna tell you guys There's some comedians You know, like Jerry Seinfeld has this very like no nah, zen way of things Like, no, nah, it's not the audience's fault, it's yours Which is true, but don't tell me That when I performed On the fucking, what's that thing In Jersey, Boardwalk That when I performed At a casino there to dead silence That that wasn't The audience's fault Give me a fucking break You know, there's morons out there Mouth breathers So, um Here's the deal I think teasing is fine You know, um Sometimes, uh, we don't know What the crowd is like, if that makes sense It it just depends on how often they're doing it I mean, are they doing it all throughout their set? Did they say it once? I mean, every once in a while You know, like for example, if I do five shows at a comedy club Thursday, one Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday, every audience is wildly different, and it's it's a collective unconscious thing. It's a, you know, I always say Friday shows can be a little quieter, even if it's full, because people tend to be eating. They've come right from work, they're not drunk yet, they're tired. Ten o'clock Friday shows now they're drunk, and they might have a little bitterness about the day because they didn't get to sleep. You know, they had to work all day, so they got up early, they fed the kids. They're tired. They're on like hour sixteen of their day. Um The early show Saturday was is always the quote best show. It always sells the best. People are well rested, they've relaxed, they maybe have eaten dinner or they're going out after, like they've got more control over their day and they're ready to just go I am entering a comedy club to laugh. Ah. So that being said, when there's certain shows that you just assume based on years of experience, like oh, this is the show where everyone laughs no matter how unfunny. Like I've had shows where I'm like, all right, calm down. I'm not that funny. You guys were all just collectively in a mood to laugh. So there's other times where you're like, this is one of my hits. Oh my God, they didn't laugh. And you kind of just blurt. "Like You guys have to understand that you're dealing with a live performer who is, even if they're doing material they've done before, The reaction is different every time You know um, From the audience and We talk for a living And we might talk about what we're experiencing We might tell you what we're thinking about you And it's hard not to blurt Stuff out which is why when comedians Have their sets taped Surreptitiously by an audience member And don't know it And it's released It's like I didn't even really mean that I just like Blurted out something You know And um, So you know If I say something That seems like I don't know Like Racially insensitive Or sexist Or something There's a difference between I'm just blurting And I don't know why That came out And like That was awkward Than me being like No I'm standing by this And I'm going to make material out of this thing and then I'm going to practice it for years and I'm going to put it on Netflix for the world to see. You know, there's such a huge difference in intention and that's a whole other story. But so with the energy stuff, it might be one of those things where I'm truly taken aback. And in that moment, I'm like, fuck, I've got another hour of these people. And if that's how they're responding to my opening joke that... I'm not saying in an egotistical way, oh, it's so funny. I'm saying this is tried and true. It works. You know, shit. I, I need to say something. This is awkward. And you've just seen us fall on our face, too. You know that we just made a punchline and that it didn't get the response. So we might say, I sometimes do tell them, I'm like, look, that was very funny. You guys didn't laugh it's friday you just got off work you're still hating your boss and now you're eating nachos and you wish you'd made a better plan for dinner like i get it you have a lot of in your mind you don't even have any idea what i just said and i'll be like let's start the night over and i'll come back out again like being funny so i think that's a good way to address it where you can actually be funny about it and then let people sort of think to themselves oh you know because it's a little bit of a performance on your end too like I actually organically laughed out loud today in my car listening to one of my new favorite podcasts is my friend Andy Kindler's podcast that he does with J. Elvis Weinstein, um, Thought Spiral, and I love it. And I just organically laughed out loud in my car and I thought, isn't laughter funny? I mean, I really needed to go. <laughs> I needed to do that because it was, I don't know, would have, I would have had a, indigestion if i didn't that thing had to come out and then i thought as i was driving god but sometimes i just decide to laugh when i'm seeing my friends who i love and intellectually i'm like that's fucking funny like sometimes comedians as you know we have a reputation for standing in the back and nodding and being like that's funny that's funny and sometimes we're just like let's make a night of it i'm gonna sit here and watch actually watch the opening act for 20 minutes and i'm gonna if I think something's funny, like kind of decide I'm going to laugh out loud. So I do know what it's like to be an audience member. And I do know when you decide and don't decide to appreciate versus laugh out loud. And I would say it's part of you guys's job to maybe think about laughing out loud. Um, so, you know, I, it's probably annoying. Um, I'm assuming the comic wasn't funny because that that's what would annoy me is like, hey, dude, um, you're being completely unself-aware. It's not us. It's you. If it's a really funny comic and you can see that they're confused and like, why isn't this working? Then I don't mind. You know, I I don't think you guys should mind if we scold. I think we're trying to say, hey, I noticed that. So obviously there might be a problem here because in the collective unconscious of this room, like, You guys aren't on board with me and you guys are my biggest fans. And so I'm not sure what's happening. Like, so unless you want to opt to like say all that, sometimes you'll scold the audience in a funny way and it might not come out funny because again, it's spur of the moment. You know, we're not everything we do can be perfect. And, um, that's really what is going on is in that split second, we're thinking all the way to the future of our set. And we're like, this whole night could be a total bust. You know, we're not we're not just like, oh well, on to the next joke. I mean, some people are, but it just really depends on all the factors. Like, I especially think, you know, it's bad etiquette if you're the opening act for someone, because one thing that could be happening is again, if the audience has come specifically to see that headliner, um, at, at either a club or a theater, the opening act, if they are not known by the audience unfortunately the audience might not be listening as well or show them the respect or they might just not laugh at that that loud because again they've decided you know i'll appreciate but my energy is being saved for you know clucky mcjucky who's coming out that's my favorite comic and i think as the opening act to scold the audience you kind of might put a bad energy into the room and then your whole goal is to Warm up the room for your headliner. I mean, the goal is really to take a bullet. The goal is to, as people are shaking off their moods from the day, ordering their first drink, letting that first drink get into their veins, you stand there for 15 to 20 minutes and entertain them until they're ready. You're not really, your job is not to like make them have the biggest laugh of their night. Your job is to sort of take the bullet, warm them up so that by the time the headliner comes out, they're exploding. And it's a skill and it's almost like being, you know, a cruise ship manager, which I don't know if it's anything like that because I've never been one, but you got to kind of let the people know that they're in a safe place and they're in good hands. And I think it's a rookie mistake and it's a panic move. It honestly is, you know, so you just got to remember that we sometimes don't even know we've (laughs) just said that. Um, And some people think they're edgy and they don't even think that they're offending you guys. They think it's cool and charming and, oh, I'm breaking the fourth wall and some people are just angry. It's just diff- every comic might do it, and it just depends on how they do it. So, don't take it personally um, if you can help it. You know that is someone up there who um, has a really has a really hard job. And if they're new, it's they've got a long road ahead of them. And if they're established, they at the very least are worried that they have a long night ahead of them with an audience that isn't really laughing. Um, so, one of the notes I made to myself is like. Um, Sometimes we're asking you guys to play the same game we're playing as Do you really think that we are having that much fun up there doing the same material? Let's all just pretend and have a good time and eventually it will turn into a good time So that's my advice Um, But yeah, I mean always there's there's always going to be fucking rude comedians Because comedians a lot of them are fucking rude Guys, I wish I had more thoughts for you, but I really don't. Um, I'll talk to you about this. Um, I'm so upset about my weight gain, and I don't want to hear you look great. It doesn't matter what other people think. There's a certain way I like to look, and when I do not look that way, I am unhappy. Am I saying I'm fat? No. Am I saying the weight and height that I am is bad and no one else should be it? No. But I know that my weight gain is not natural. It's not like, oh, I've been living the same lifestyle that I've always lived and this is hormonal or something. I have used... Now, I am a very sensitive body. Like, I don't eat much. I'm not someone who actually feels hunger pains that often. Pangs. So... For me, quote, going off eating is probably how some people eat every day. And so I might go off once a week and I will literally gain like three to five pounds from doing it. I know it's all water weight stuff, but it takes a long time to get off. And then I get depressed about it. I've been now not depressed like anything in my life is bad, but just that kind of like um, I haven't had a very well-rounded life. During certain moments of the year, so certain moments of the year, I was at my ideal weight, and other times I would just spike up and gain ten pounds in a month. And um, I didn't have a lot of balance in my life. So when I was writing on Mrs. Maisel, it was like there was no balance. It was like I'm back in a writer's room. I hadn't been in one in years. I'm sitting on my ass like eight to ten hours a day. I'm trying to do that thing where you wear your Fitbit and you walk. And of course, walking in New York, you do hit ten thousand steps pretty easily, even just to and from the subway. And, but then your body gets used to 10,000 steps and then you're eating like addictive sugary foods all day. And then, oh, maybe I'll add some cheese back into my diet. Like cheese is my killer. It's bad for my voice. It's bad for your immune system. It has hormones in it. Like I try to stay away from dairy. I try to be not so much of a cheating vegan. And the only way I usually cheat with my veganism is uh, fish, salmon. And uh, once in a while, some like 0% greek yogurt because that's good for ladies stuff and i do eat the coconut yogurt and stuff anyway oh my god i just heard a crazy noise and i think it's my oh it's the neighbor so oh remember my neighbor across the hall i thought he died i'll tell you that in a minute Anyway, so I'm unhappy with my weight gain. It's very visible. And since I have a small frame, I can notice it. Now, when I gained 50 pounds and I was married and going through a depression, it's had to start somewhere. And it started with these exact first 10 pounds that I have right now. And they made me so depressed. I could not. And I'm working out. I'm hiking every day in Pilates and power plate. It's just, it's just that I'm fucking it up, and sometimes eating late at night before bed, and eating way too many calories a day. I mean, it's always that simple. You are eating too many calories a day, and ones that aren't, you know, the good kind—fats and carbs. You know. So, anyway, I'm upset about it. My clothes don't fit. I can't fit into what I wore in my Netflix special. I can't button the pants. Um, and the butt is like about to burst. Um my jeans, my favorite skinny jeans, rag and bone jeans split. I had to send them away to like a denim doctor. Um, I I can't put them on at all. Like I've gone up two sizes, so I'm unhappy and my clothes don't fit and I'm bummed. So, you know, it was actually, the last time I was at like the weight I really liked was like, yeah, right before my Netflix special, and, uh, a lot of that had to do with the special diet I was on for my voice. And I think that, you know, you don't eat after six and you don't have this and you don't have that. And it was just after a while eating got so tedious that I just didn't eat as much. <laughs> it was just like, oh, this can't have spice. This can't have tomato. This can't have this, this can't have that. So I do have a feeling that that not being on that thing anymore. Um, and, and it sucks because my voice is better and I should actually just stay on that diet for life because it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not like, oh, you just do it when your voice is really bad. I mean, you do it hardcore when your voice is really bad, but it is something I should um, keep an eye on. So anyway, I'm going to get back to my goal weight, but that's always in the back of my mind. I've been really self-conscious. Someone took my picture at one of my shows at Caroline's last week and it was a side view and I have a sway back and I tend to kind of just like Jut my butt out anyway But I don't like the big butt look For me I don't like it I took ballet my whole life You're never gonna rejigger that in my brain Never, ever, ever, ever I don't care if guys like it I don't care what guys want I I like a flat, slim, androgynous I just do I just do And now that, And I'm so happy Because now that we're in this sort of Gender fluid world I feel I can finally talk about the body type that I want Without people telling me That it's anti-feminist and then i just have shame i love how a woman looks in sort of menswear with like a boy's kind of body i don't mean like anorexic you're 12 pounds but i mean like you know i'm just not one of those girls that ever felt sexy with like big boobs and cleavage and a butt like to me i just don't think that looks that's not how i feel like looking Um, so if I wear an outfit, like I don't want a cleavage look, you know, I don't want a tight butt. I just don't like how it looks. I like a slim line. I love the fashion world. And sure, I'm probably influenced by people in fashion who are like one pound, but it's not that I need to like be that weight. It's just, that's the cut I like of clothing and things. And so, uh, when I have clothes cut like that, that are cut to hang, and they don't. It's like such a bad. So this girl took a picture of me side stage and sent me a DM that was like, "Your butt looks amazing. It's so shouldn't say it's so big, but it was definitely like I don't even like I used to not have a butt a couple of years ago. So I'm, Oh fuck! And it looked huge, and it was like huge to me. And I'm so glad I can talk about this because I hate that we just censor ourselves completely. Like I'm sorry, there's a world where a woman gains 12 pounds and it makes her unhappy because she doesn't feel right when she sits down, she feels bloated. She feels unappealing to herself. Um, it has nothing to do with men. It has nothing to do with anorexic society. Uh, my weight that I like being is still eight pounds over the lowest weight I could be for my height before it went into danger zone. So I'm not underweight. I'm not, I'm not aiming to be underweight. Um, but I hear my guy comic friends talk about it all the time. Like, my friend Bert Kreischer was like, I had to lose 30 pounds. I went to hot yoga for fucking a month. I mean, he's bigger than me, so obviously, like, it's more maybe obvious. No offense, Bert. If you're like, well, yeah, he did have to lose weight. But it doesn't matter. It didn't make him happy to be that weight. Um. Anyway, so I like that we can talk about that because in the past when I was like, oh, I just like that kind of androgynous look like for clothing. People were like, that's you society telling you you have to be thin? I'm like... No, not really, because society doesn't tell women they have to have, like, a body that looks more like a man's, you know, and I think I have that, like, gender fluid kind of vibe to me where it's like, I don't really get the whole, like, boobs-ass thing, like, I don't desire that look, so you know, and I, I I'm sure it, ugh, the emails I'm going to get about this. Anyway, I'm upset about my weight gain. I'm trying to pack for London. Literally nothing fits. So I am kind of doing like, as we speak, like a drastic calorie cutting, eating lots of water kind of stuff. Um, You know, Epsom salt baths, <laughs> all this stuff to try to just get some of it down so that I can button pants up. And I don't know, I might have to go I love the Top Shop in London, so that might be what I do when I land off the plane. Is like head to Top Shop and try to find some pants that fit that don't look like, "Hey, are these your pants?" Because you've gained twelve pounds and you have a big ass now. Anyway, I hate when people. It's just so annoying when you want to talk about your weight and friends are like, "You look great," I'm like, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about I'm uncomfortable in my skin right now. Like we. Can we, we can just never talk about that because you're just going to keep going. I think it's cool or that, you know, it's like, yeah, but if I know that I gained weight from stress eating and from like then feeling bad that I gained five because my clothes started not fitting. So it made me eat more. Like I have to talk about that. I have to address that. Like that's not, that's a sign that my behavior is going a certain way and it could lead to other more of the same, you know, it's like, I'm actually trying to open up about not even eating feelings. I've, I've been really good with processing my feelings. I've just been eating from stress, like writing a pilot for three months and feeling just my reward center is off, you know? And I think a lot of that does get fulfilled by relationships and stuff too, in a way. Um, and there was just kind of a lack of, um, I had a beautiful year, like a meaningful year and just a full of love and like so happy. But like reward center wise, I'm not talking about sex. I'm just talking about like, I was always just busy. So it wasn't a lot of like, hey, let's go out and have drinks, girl. There wasn't a lot of that this year. So it, it, it was just like, I'm stressed. I want a reward center thing right now. Because I know what tomorrow is going to look like. It's going to look like sitting in a writer's room for 10 hours. Or I know what tomorrow is going to look like. It's going to look like rewriting this and pacing. I want to reward my brain. Pizza. You know? And every day there was enough bullshit going on that it's like, well, Jen, these are the jobs you have. Like, it's always going to look like this. So you can't eat your way through it. Because if you're a TV writer, which you seem to have been for the past 10 years, it's that seems to have been the career that chose you. You got to not stress eat, you know, and so that's what i'm trying to work on i'm much better with being active like And by the time you hear this i'll probably know if my show got picked up so i'm not going to keep talking about it but If it gets picked up i'll be so happy because that's a little more active It's like i'm acting and i'm running around and i'm over here and i'm taking that, you know Anyway, anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know that that's what's going on with me now you know, and that's actually not something I, I would take up with my therapist because it's just going to get into a hole. Like, I already know what it is. And I, I, last time when I went through my gait, weight gain, she's like, that's what happens. Like, you know, people get older and I, I just don't want to hear the give up. I don't want to hear it. I'm sure she'd have more insight if I shared, you know, what I was feeling. But I love how I'm like, well, I don't take the, I don't take the feeling stuff to therapy. Anyway, but you guys... Talkspace is our sponsor. I know you've thought about going to therapy. I know that you think, well, that problem I'm thinking about, it'll work itself out. Well, wouldn't it be great to just practice on this one problem you're having and just see what else it opens up? I think so. And again, if you don't have insurance, Talkspace is only, uh, it can be as little as $32 a week. And again, it's in your phone. It's in your computer. It's it's perfectly private. It's perfectly convenient. It's portable. You don't have to make time to drive to and from anywhere. So Talkspace, my favorite sponsor, the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists, get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on the path to a happier life. So right now, go to Talkspace.com slash Jen. I want you all to enjoy reading along. Well, I'm not reading from the website, but the website has different information than I'm telling you. So, so check it out. Just go on there. Um, Yeah, for as little as $32 a week, you pick your therapist. They have at least a master's degree and over 3,000 hours of supervised work. And again, you get to pick your therapist, someone you relate to and feel comfortable with. I mean, that's the first step. To getting to know yourself is getting to know your needs and asking that they be met, right? So that you're already on the road to recovery just by picking your therapist. Talkspace.com slash Jen. To show your support for this podcast, use code Jen and you will get $30 off your first month. That is Jen and Talkspace.com slash Jen. One N and Jen, please. And again, in the whole Talkspace universe, you can send your therapist a text, an audio, a video message, or you can even do a live video chat. So talkspace.com slash Jen special oftener, oftener. I always say that just for our listeners, coupon code, Jen, $30 off for your first month. It is therapy for how we live today, people. Ah, uh, and I am also a subscriber to, well, I'm not a subscriber to talkspace. I didn't mean to say I'm also, I just believe in talkspace, but I happen to have a therapist that I've had for years and You know, it's covered by my insurance. So don't worry about me. Quip. I am a member. So you don't need a big expensive toothbrush to get awesome oral care. You can get the same refreshing clean with something simpler that'll give you the best brushing experience you've ever had. Start brushing better with the new, more simple, affordable brush that is refreshing the oral care industry. And by the way, your teeth, your breath, that impacts people's impression of you. Good oral health is even good for your heart. It's the most important first impression that you could give. So introducing Quip. It's the new company that is refreshing the way people brush their teeth. I have one of these. Actually, I have two of these because I use one for traveling. It's an electric toothbrush that packs premium vibration and timer features, which I love that part because it will you can do all four corners of your mouth and it it kind of stops vibrating for a second to let you know to keep moving on, but you don't have to keep pushing the button. It packs premium vibration and timer features, ultra slim design, and it's half the cost of the bulkier brushes, I promise you, because I used to use the other bulkier ones. It's so cool. I have one in rose gold, and it comes in this little cool case, and you can stick the case on your mirror, and it just looks super sleek, and it has a great cover, and you can travel with it. It's basically like if Apple designed a toothbrush, obviously, without being as expensive as any Apple product. So you can subscribe and get new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month three month plan for just five bucks, including free shipping. I'm doing it. And I got my brush heads the other day, and I was like, oh my God, I totally had no idea three months had gone by. I totally don't have to go to the store. Again, free shipping. It's backed by dentists, and it's named by Time Magazine as one of the best inventions of 2016, and it made it on Oprah's 2017 New Year's O-List. So it it starts at just $25. Go to getquip.com slash fun, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash fun, to get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. Again, getquip.com slash fun. And if you go to my Facebook page, the fun page, you can click the link right there and get right on into it. This is for people who want to make it easy to keep up with their simple habits. You don't have to worry about getting new brush heads or new toothpaste. It comes right to your door. The toothpaste is great, by the way. And again, affordable, sleek design, wireless mirror mount. And uh, most people don't refresh their bristles or visit the dentist on time. So that is why you need Quip. Getquip.com/fun. All right, folks. Now suddenly my nose is stuffy. I don't know what the fuck that's all about. Not like in a I'm sick way, but in a like it's just I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, can I tell you guys? I'm on this weird Hugh Grant kick. I just love the guy. I think he's a fantastic actor. And I um hadn't seen About a Boy in a while. And I just like rewatched it. It was like I was, I was on a plane or something. And I'm like, he is so fucking good and funny and nuanced. Um, oh my God. Just adore him. Maybe I will run into him in London and we will be best friends. Um, adorable. Crushworthy, just an older man now, and I think. Mm, I- He might have gotten too old for me I'm probably like way too old for him He's like 50 something He's probably like 43, gross Because that's how it is Um, Okay, somebody All right. so there's some stuff we didn't get to last week Um, Okay, so somebody said I'm coming to your show, Caroline's with my girlfriends Okay, so they already came I hope you guys had fun I want to know if you have any recommendations, books for single women struggling in a society that portrays marriage and family as the norm, as if being single is not something that should be embraced. Well, uh, I really didn't have an answer because I don't sweat that stuff, if that makes sense. So I don't gravitate towards those books, even though I wrote two books that's basically about that or even, you know, about also being in relationships, too, and if they don't look the way that other people think they should – you know, like if you go on vacation alone, even though you have a boyfriend, everybody freaks out. So, my books are—I can barely take care of myself—and the other one is called "I Know What I'm Doing" and other lies I tell myself. All available: hardcover, paperback, audiobook, Kindle. You probably already know that. I also love all the single ladies by Rebecca Solnit, and I know it sounds like it's a trite book. It's actually genius and it's educational and it's almost um like a college book. Like it's—it's it's literally every page is like factually backed up, like theories and how women were socialized to be competitive with each other back in the day and all this. It's wonderful. And about how we basically run the economy and how the landscape of New York City even changed because more women live alone. So that's an amazing book. But I don't have any recommendations for other ones about that. So I thought maybe we could start like an icing fun book club. Don't you guys think that would be great? And you could give book recommendations and I could read them out loud on the air. And then you could buy those books instead of mine, you motherfuckers. Um, So if anyone has anything for our friend in New York City who would like to read books about, you know, single women uh, struggling in a society that portrays marriage and family as the norm, then please uh, put book club in the subject heading and write to I seem fun at gmail.com. And I will, it has to be specifically for this woman though. Um, I mean, that's the hope. And I'll read out some of the books on the air. And then again, if anyone else has any kind of book suggestions they're looking for, email me, but don't just email me book recommendations. Cause I don't know if anyone wants what you're asking. <laughs> so I would rather hear from people going, can you recommend any blank? And I'll throw it out to y'alls. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Will anyone do it correctly? That will remain to be seen. Why am I so mean? Why am I so mean? All right. Let's see what other questions people might have. Um, I'm trying to mix it up and try to find some uh, listener emails here. Listen. Okay, how's this? Okay, there's a lot of Christmas stuff still on here, so I think... Oh, here's one. Um, as long as we were talking about comedy, somebody wrote me this that I thought could be cool for this episode. Um, where is it, you guys? Oh my god, hang on. I can't find it. Fuck the haters. Okay. God, this mic is good, huh? Can you hear the paper? Okay. This is a listener email. It's about women aren't funny in comedy. I mean, they're not saying that. Um, God, I don't know if I can say her name. Well, let's just say her name is um, Susie. Hi, Jen. I just had a conversation with an 11-year-old. Ugh, poor you. That, as conversations with kids often do, really made me think. Oh, sorry. I'm an art teacher in an all-girls public school. Yes, there are a few single-sex, non-charter public schools. It is a thing. Oh, I don't know. I know nothing about school, so I wasn't even like, wow, I didn't know there was such a thing. Like, Oh, I guess public school. I guess that would be strange. Yeah. I don't even really know what a charter school is. I'm so out of the school loop. I mean, I could find out, but I just don't know why I would because kids are so... God, kid, even when watching About a Boy, I know that that kid by now is probably 30, and also it's a character, but that actor was so good and heartbreaking, and I just, I hate when kids get teased and made fun of. It is, I really do care for the children, but as much as I don't want kids, like, I almost find it that one of the main reasons besides that my life ended up just being so random. I don't, there's no way to raise a child in this environment, but it's heartbreaking. I, I, I do not have it. I do not have what it takes to watch my kid have feelings and grow and change. Well, I don't have a kid, so that's why I'm, I don't have what it takes to watch them, but I, I, I couldn't do it. it. It's too heartbreaking. And I know it's rewarding on the other side. It's not worth the reward to me. Just like I'd be like, no, you guys should do stand-up. The rewards are amazing on the other side of the stage fright and the traveling and the standing up there. You'd be like, but I don't want to. And it's like, no, but this is the good side of it. You're like, yeah, but I don't want the bad side. So, guys, I can't do it. It's it's too much for me. Okay. Um, anyway, a girl who lives across the hall from me will be attending my school this year, and she's got some concerns as one would moving from elementary to middle school. Oh, the worst time in life ever. Sometimes we chat in the hallway, and since she knows I'm going to be one of her teachers, she tells me the things she's worried about for the new school year. Oh, so cute. She was telling me that some of her friends think all-girls' school would be boring, so I told her some of the fun things we do in the school. Then she And her friends are not going to that school. Then she told me her friends say that it will be boring because there are only other girls to talk to and who's going to make you laugh? Boys are funny. Ah, oh, oh. My response, which probably was probably a little regressive, was without any boys around, it's the girls who get to be funny. She smiled at this and said that her friends probably hadn't thought of it that way. Well, that's nice. I like how open kids can be, like when you kind of blow their mind for a minute and they're like, okay. You know, it's cool. It made me think, though, about this whole women aren't funny thing. Does it really start in childhood? And even my own response that we get to be the funny ones when we don't have boys around overpowering us. Maybe in the moment I, uh, uh, sorry. Maybe in the moment I laid the young lady's concerns, but even though it's true in a way, it shouldn't be. It made me wonder about how we have this whole movement to bring girls into the STEM fields, Well, I had said the word STEM uh, last episode and get them to be all science-y. Even as an art teacher, I wonder how to help them think like scientists. But maybe we also need to teach girls to own their funniness more. Being funny and laughing at things that are actually funny to you are part of being a whole person. Obviously, not everybody has to be a professional comedian, but everyone should feel entitled to expressing their own funniness. Clearly, that needs to be emphasized in childhood when everyone is naturally a hilarious weirdo. Um, Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, humor is... Obviously, I think one of the best ways to deal with problems, as long as you're actually dealing with them, but to put humor as a cherry on top, not as the solution, but, um, humor is a great way to get people to listen, right? What's that expression? Um, is it Mark Twain who said, um, like make them laugh or they'll kill you, you know, like to change someone's mind, you've got to do it in a funny way. Um, so You know, my theory is that men aren't socialized to understand women. So to them, we aren't funny. They don't get us. And that's why so many times on Twitter, when I tweet a joke, men explain it back to me. I'm like, no, I know. Or if they write something to me and I'm like, I don't like what you wrote. They're like, oh, I was joking. And then they explain what a joke is. I'm like, no, I'm not the one that doesn't understand you. You actually don't understand me. That's why you literally can't even recognize when a woman writes something funny. They are not socialized. And we might have our own sense of humor, just like every culture, every race might have their own sense of humor. Um, I don't think there's a woman's sense of humor, but I'm just saying, like, uh, if they're not conditioned to laugh at us, they might not even recognize when we're trying to be funny. I mean, it's a disaster. The whole thing's a fucking nightmare. But um, I'm glad that you got to change her mind. And, you know, boys are probably more outward trying to be funny. I know for me, like... At least in school, like my humor was more of the subtle, dry, hang out with the gay guys humor, kind of under our breaths and in between things. It, no one was trying to be the class clown. And usually those people are like the least funny people. They grow up to be Larry at the office who's photocopying his butt or your uncle, you know. Um, but I'm all for, you know, maybe not teaching humor because I don't think it can be taught, but using humor and letting people pick up on the fact that you have just used it as a teaching tool. I think, can be quite effective. Um, But that is... Oh, God, that's such a bummer. Such a massive bummer. So I thought I'd read an article. Um, You know, I love being Gen X. I make fun of millennials, and I'm only kidding. But I I made fun of some at Caroline's. Not to their face. It was not even about anyone in the audience. I was just saying, like, look, sometimes you got to let old people be old people. And you got to let us... um, Shit on the generation under us And then you'll do it to the next generation And we'll all have a great time And like I'm kidding But like I'm also serious We're like Again with the sense of We have to have a sense of humor About how all of us are so comfortable In our own generation And that we feel alienated When people older than us don't understand And people younger than us Seem to be doing things That we don't know what they're doing (laughs) And but I read a great article About how it's actually Gen X That could save the world And so that's this week's little Jen reads to you moment. Um, now if I could find it, if I could fucking find it, I mean, and I planned all these out, I print out all these things. I'm so organized, but you know, something is just, oh, I think you know what it is. Did I print it out? yes, I did. Oh, I didn't. Oh my God. I love this one. There's a sleep disorder that makes you nocturnal and it, it's not insomnia. And it's for people who are like, I have insomnia, but fucking I'll read that next time. I I don't know if you've noticed, but it's my new little thing for 2018, um, to read stuff to you, which I don't know. Is that a cheat? Who cares? Um, it comes in handy when I haven't really lived a life and I'm like, I could tell you about a script I punched up and how I had rewrites all weekend, but I have nothing to say because I've done nothing. I've done, I've been busy as fuck sleeping four hours a night, but <clears throat> there's nothing interesting to report. Okay. Um. Whoops. <clears throat> this is from VanityFair.com. This is from, I think it's, oh, I it was back from August. Um, Why Generation X might be our last best hope. Caught between vast, self-regarding waves of boomers and millennials, Generation X is steeped in irony, detachment, and a sense of dread. That is something I notice about us that I love. Like We do have a macabre about us that I think younger people are freaked out by, or just they don't have. And I'm like, ah, come on, guys. Um, And one of their rank argues that this attitude makes it the best-suited To preserve American tradition in these new dark days. All right. Demographics are destiny. We grew up in the world and mind of the baby boomers simply because there were so many of them. They were the biggest, easiest, most free spending market the planet had ever known. What they wanted filled the shelves and what fills the shelves is our history. They wanted to dance, so we had rock and roll. They wanted to open their minds, so we had LSD. They did not want to go to war, so that was it for the draft. We will grow old in the world and mind of the mill- oh my god. We will grow old in the world and mind of the millennials because there are even more of them. Because they don't know what they want. Stop generalizing. Just listen to the article. Because they don't know what they want, the culture will be scrambled, and the screens a never-ending scroll. They are not literally the children of the baby boomers, but might as well be, because here you have two vast generations linking arms over our heads, akin in the certainty that what they want, they will have, and that what they have is right and good. The members of the in-between generation have moved through life, squeezed fore and aft, with these tremendous populations pressing on either side, demanding we grow up and move away or grow old and die, get out, delete your account, kill yourself. But it's become clear to me that if this nation has any chance of survival, of carrying its traditions deep into the 21st century, it will in no small part depend on members of my generation, Generation X. The last Americans schooled in the old manner The last Americans that know how to fold a newspaper Take a joke and listen to a dirty story without losing their minds I know all of you are already logging off The people that think I'm being offensive Or generalizing I'm reading an article and you know what I am that generation I used to read a newspaper on the subway And now I look at my phone I've been both You know I'm both And uh Yeah anyway Just think of all the things that have come and gone in our lifetimes, all the would-be futures we watched age into obolescence, obsolescence. Oh my God. I literally saw that word and I was like, I thought it was obsolescence. And I saw no S there. Grandma, CD, DVD, answering machine, Walkman, mixtape, MTV, video store, mall. There were still some rotary phones around in our childhood. Now it's nothing but virtual buttons. Though much derided, members of my generation turn out to be something like Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. We've seen everything and grown tired of history and all the fighting, and so have opened our own little joint at the edge of the desert, the last outpost in a world gone mad, the last light in the last saloon on the darkest night of the year. It's not those who stormed the beaches and won the war, nor the hula hoop millions who followed, nor what we have coming out of the colleges now. It's Generation X that will be called the greatest. The philosophy of the boomers, their general outlook and disposition, which became our culture, is based on a misunderstanding. In the boomers, those born after World War II but before the Kennedy assassination, some of this is less about dates, which are in dispute, than about sensibility. You're seeing a rebellion. They'd say it was against Richard Nixon or the Vietnam War or the conformity of the 1950s or disco. But it was really against their parents, specifically their fathers. It was a rejection of bourgeoisie life, the man in his gray flannel suit, his suburbs and corporate hierarchy and commute, the simple pleasures of his seemingly unadventurous life. But the old man did not settle beneath the elms because he was boring or empty or plastic. He did it because 10 years before you were born, he killed a German soldier with his bare hands in the woods. Many of the boomers I know believe their parents hid themselves from the action. In truth, those World War II fathers were neither hiding nor settling. They were seeking peace, tranquility. They wanted to give their children a fantasy of stability, not because they knew too little, but because they'd seen too much. Their children read this quest as emptiness and went away before the fathers could transmute the secret wisdom, the ancient knowledge that allows a society to persist in a person to get through a Wednesday afternoon. In this way, the chain was broken and the boomers went zooming into the chaos, which explains the saving attitude of Generation X, those born between the mid-1960s and the early 1980s say. We are a revolt against the boomers a revolt against the revolt, a market correction, a restoration not of a power elite, but of a philosophy. I always believed we had more in common with the poets hunting the taverns on 52nd Street at the end of the 30s than the hippies at Woodstock. Absolutely, fucking you nailed Gen X 100%. And I think millennials are like the hippies, but the hippies became the boomers. So, oh my god, 100%. "'Cynical, wised up, and sane, we'd seen what became of the big projects of the boomers as that earlier generation had seen what became of all the big social projects. As a result, we could not stand to hear the utopian talk of the boomers as we cannot stand to hear the utopian talk of the millennials. We know that most people are rotten to the core, but some are good and proceed accordingly.' Though there were never enough of us to demand the undivided attention of advertisers and hit makers, we have been happy in our little joint, serving from can till can to stride the Sahara. We have been witnesses, watching and recalling, not the children of the boomers, but the little brothers and little sisters. We do not believe what they believe, but can imitate them if necessary. If I'm overly cautious with pronouns, for example, if I occasionally express sentiments that I do not believe, if I'm careful not to always say what I know, that the long arc of history does not in fact bend toward justice, that's why. We watched them at play, studying them as you study an older sibling. They blew pot smoke in our faces at parties and called us little man, but we persisted. We could hear them as we lay in bed, racing up and down the street in muscle cars. The boomers at leisure were pop culture, but it was still the old America at school and at home. Our teachers and parents had grown up in the 30s and 40s and 50s, the silent generation, Korean war vets who still spoke the language of exceptionalism, which does not mean we are better, just different. It might not be true, or might be, but it's a story. We knew that. We knew that you choose your story or a story is going to be chosen for you. The past is as unreal as the future, so why not invent one that makes sense, that gives you the illusion of being on a train moving down the track? Members of Generation X carry this sensibility. It's coded in their constitution, turns up in their posture and pose. Jeff Bezos, Michelle Obama, Matt Dillon and John Leguizamo, born 1964. Chris Rock, born 1965. Kurt Cobain and Liz Fair, born nineteen sixty seven. Jay Z, Cory Booker, and Pat Oswald, born nineteen sixty nine. River Phoenix, Melissa McCarthy, and Beck, born nineteen seventy. Sophia Coppola and Mark Anderson, born nineteen seventy one. Smith- Seth MacFarlane, Nas, and Dave Chappelle, born nineteen seventy three. Okay, they name other people. Jen- I am going to say Jen Kirkman, born nineteen seventy four. Our generational works of art, these monuments, many of them share this sensibility. It's a kind of enough-already detachment and exhaustion and opting for comedy over morals and lessons and rules. And look how they stand up. How much newer and better those movies and books can seem than works made five or three years ago. Everyone can make their own list. Mine includes Exile in Guyville by Liz Fair, A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again by David Foster Wallace, Everything by Quentin Tarantino. Ugh, not me. Ditto Wes Anderson. Eh, Richard Linklater. Okay, the key lyric, and, and he says Tina Fey. I don't agree with all of his choices, but the key lyric it can serve as a coda. Opens the Nirvana song "Breed." I don't care. 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 I hate when people quote Nirvana for articles about Gen X and then use the lamest lyrics. That actually, um, I don't think. Defines Gen X Uh, I think a Nirvana lyric that defines Gen X Is um, What else should I be All apologies Right Um, Each of these works was made for a different Reason and under different circumstances But each carries the same message I don't care, I don't care, get it off, get it off Go away, go away, go away Detachment removed, disgust With the busy handed do-goodism Of the older brother in the peace shirt History is big and we are small Grand projects end in ruin Sometimes the best you can do is have a drink That's what we know And that we're all going to die anyway Think about that scene in Pulp Fiction After a terrible night in which Mia Wallace Nearly dies of an overdose She ends up wild-eyed, a needle plunged into her heart Vincent Vega walks Toward her door, lingering to see If anything important or profound will be said What's the takeaway, the boomer asks For this is the moment when you usually get The takeaway Mia turns to Vincent but does not give him a lesson She tells him a joke instead A stupid joke And that's the takeaway That there is no takeaway Irony and a keen sense of dread Are what make Generation X the last great hope With its belief that Even if you could tell other people what to say And what not to say Even if you could tell them how to live Even if you could enforce those rules Through social pressure and public shaming Why would you want to? I mean, it's just so uncool I never really believed the notion of a generation. If four people are born every second of every day, how can you have a generation? But I get it now. A generation is the creation of shared experiences, the things that happened, the things you all did and listened to and read and went through, and as important, the things that did not happen. We are the last generation to grow up with crappy video games, with actual arcades instead of quality home consoles. If you wanted to play, you had to leave the house and mix it up with the ruffians. That is, we are the last Americans to have the old-time childhood, wherein you were assigned a bully along with a homeroom teacher. Our childhood was closer to those of the 1950s than to whatever they're doing today. It was coherent, hands-on, dirty, and fun. I made it onto the plane just as the door was closing. This happened a few months ago. I found my seat next to a businessman who was as handsome as Cary Grant. He wore a beautiful suit and had a beautiful leather briefcase His glasses were made by Armani. His hair was thick and dark and going gray at the temples, distinguished. And I realized with a shock that this man, this picture of elegant adulthood, was more than a decade younger than me, a member of another generation. He was working so furiously at his phone, concentrated and intense, that I craned over in hope of catching a phrase from whatever memo, launch plan, or prospectus he was hurrying to finish before the markets closed. What I saw shocked me. It wasn't just that he was playing a video game, but in that game, he was guiding a chimpanzee down a candy road. I stared at him and stared at him, but he did not notice. When the flight attendant told him to buckle his seatbelt, he looked up. And the look on his face was the one you see a lot now, blank and unfocused. A mole pulled out of a dark tunnel, yanked from a cheap and common dream. I grew up outside of Chicago. I went to one of those high schools where John Hughes set all of those iconic teen movies. I studied them as a religious scholar might study the Bible, searching for answers and clues. The Breakfast Club was not one of my favorites. Me neither. But it was said to define my generation. In that movie, Hughes has a bit of dialogue that says more than he probably intended, which is the way it is with art. Now and then you are telling the future without meaning to. It's spoken by the teacher, Richard Vernon, the only adult with a major role in the movie other than the janitor, Carl. Vernon is talking to Carl and his words trouble me. It's the truth of the sentiment and the fact that I actually identify with the heavy. Quote, now this is the thought that wakes me up in the middle of the night. He says that when I get older, these kids are going to take care of me. Wait, is that the end of the article? What the fuck Did that just end Is that the end of the article How could it be He didn't really prove his thesis That we're the last great How is that the article Hang on a minute Do you guys know what I'm saying I'm trying to like There's no page Scroll What It's happening that I think that's it. No, it can't be. Hang on a minute. You're like, yeah, look at you, Gen X. You can't even read a fucking thing. Vanity Fair. There, it just doesn't have like an ending like thing, like a signature. But that does sound like the ending of an article. Um. So hang on. Somebody republished it here. I think that's the end of the article. If I find the rest of it, I will certainly read it to you. But I think that's it. All right. Well, that's Jen Reads to you. Um, Please don't send me angry articles about this. I didn't realize how small Gen X was in a weird way. And um, I guess you just had to be there. Until next week, have fun.